the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as I've shared with you in the past, I have three law degrees. In addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I'm a master of the laws of taxation laws, and I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property laws. Now, because of my training, my experiences, and my lifelong interests in business and money and finance and wealth creation and wealth preservation and wealth transfer, and the roles that these particular aspects of the social science of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. And I also practice its first cousins, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and their sometimes wayward offsprings, taxation law. And I'm also proud to say that as part of my practice, I sometimes have the opportunity to at least attempt to seek out and vindicate the rights of seniors as we find ourselves more and more the targets and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse as you can imagine. But again, before we begin our show, I have to have you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored specifically to your set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you at least an general outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help, especially if your legal issue concerns your finances and or your assets. And I do this because, as I'm known for saying, I believe that representing yourself in a legal matter, any legal matter, but especially one concerning your financial issues and assets, it's just like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. If you're lucky, and you take your butter knife to a gunfight and you can sneak up on your opponent and she's napping, which she won't be, and you can get real close. You might be able to scratch her on the arm or even poke her in the eye, but more than likely, you're the one that's going to be dead on arrival. Again, I'm talking about your valid claims and your righteous defenses will likely see the promised land way before you do. So, again, I share with you the purpose of Selwyn's Law in case you haven't guessed it. 
and discuss the law related to your money and your overall finances and what you need to consider to protect your and or your families and or your businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related uh, well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. Now, it had been my plan today to use today's show to give you an update on some important uh, court decisions given down this past week, including two that put a halt to the gender and race-related preferences afforded to restaurateurs and barkeeps uh, that are people of color, uh, that is to say as part of the restaurant revitalization form, and one that stopped the distribution of money Congress had set aside to pay off the loans for farmers of color who have been unlawfully discriminated against by their own government based on their race and ethnicity. Those matters have been put in a, um, in a hole because a, 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 an appeals court has ruled against the government. But the flight's not over yet, so I'm going to... Um, you know, put those in abeyance. And also, you know, unless you've been living under a rock this past week or taking an off-world trip, you know that the United States Supreme Court issued a couple of key decisions concerning Obamacare and the Freedom of Expression Clause. But again, I'm going to put those topics in abeyance. And I want to begin another topic of importance that is at the intersection of law and how it's been used in the U.S. to impact the lives of individuals, families, and small business owners who happen to be of African descent. I'm of course talking about and providing you with some of the basis and justification for the newest federal holiday, Juneteenth, which President Biden signed into law this past Thursday, June 17, 2021, and goes into effect on June 19, 2021, the date of this broadcast, uh, but would have been celebrated by federal workers yesterday, Friday, June 18, 2021, the day I recorded this show. So what is Juneteenth anyway? Well, up until this past Thursday, June 17th, when President Biden made it a federal holiday, Juneteenth was and remains an annual holiday celebrated by black folks from all across this country. And it was formally recognized by 49 states and the District of Columbia to commemorate what people call it the end of slavery. However, was the end of slavery only in those states that had seceded from the Union and had taken up arms against the United States. And that led to the commencement of the Civil War in 1861. Now, you should know at the beginning of this year, 2021, three states, Hawaii, North Dakota, and South Dakota, were the only states in the Union that did not formally recognize Juneteenth in some form or faction. Now, that changed for North Dakota on April 12, 2021, when the governor signed a bill making it a ceremonial holiday. And a bill to do the same passed in Hawaii, and with both houses signing off on it on April 27, 2021, making the governor's signature all that was required to make it an official ceremony holiday in Hawaii. And although uh, South Dakota governor had commemorated Juneteenth last year in 2020, that state has yet to pass any legislation to officially recognize it. So 
Again, prior to June 17th, South Dakota was the only state in the union that did not formally recognize Juneteenth. So why is Juneteenth? What is such a big deal to African Americans? On June 19, 1865, a little over two months after the Confederate General Robert E. Lee had surrendered to Union General and future President Ulysses S. Grant at Appomattox, Virginia, on April 9, 1865, Union General Gordon Granger, with approximately 1,800 federal troops in tow, many of whom were black, arrived in Galveston, Texas, uh, formerly a key part of the Confederate States of America. Now, upon his arrival, General Granger informed the populace that the enslaved blacks in the territory were free by presidential edict and that the Civil War had ended. General Granger's announcement put into effect the Emancipation Proclamation, which had been issued more than two and a half years earlier on January 1, 1865 by President Abraham Lincoln as a means to punish the Southern traitors and to be able to gain access to and to enlist tens of thousands of black men, former slaves, who were willing to fight for the Union. The holiday received its name by combining June and 19. The day is also sometimes called Juneteenth Independence Day, Freedom Day, and Emancipation Day. Now, upon his arrival in Galveston, Granger issued General Order Number 3, which declared, and I quote, The people of Texas are informed that, in accordance with the proclamation from the Executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves and the connection theretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor, end quote. The general order went on to advise the newly freedmen to remain, and I quote, at their present homes and work for wages, end quote, as they would not be permitted to linger at military posts and idleness would not be supported there or elsewhere. Hmm. So why Texas? The state represented the Confederacy's and slavery's last stand in the South. After Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, many slaves in other part of the South had fled their bondage and found their way behind Union lines as Union troops were advancing into the South, thereby obtaining their freedom. However, because so few battles had been waged in Texas, many slave owners from other states relocated there, uh, seeking protection for their continued use of human property as slaves. In historian Leon Litwick's book, Been in the Storm So Long, The Aftermath of Slavery, former slave Alan Manning recalled, It looked like everybody in the world was going to Texas. Even after Granger arrived, effectively freeing the state's 250,000 slaves, many owners kept this information from their slaves until the close of that particular harvest season. So as you can discern, while Juneteenth ended the horrible, well, one horrible chapter of the journey of black folks in America, 
it opened the door to a new kind of exploitation via the Jim Crow societal hierarchical rules, caste system, segregation, and edu educational tracking, and the economic deprivation that continues in many forms and fashion through and to today. Now, when I come back, I'll put Juneteenth in a more historical context and discuss how it fits into the overall political and legal climate at the time. But first, we'll take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion on today's topic, Juneteenth, America's newest federal holiday, and how it came to be. But first, to level set, here are some key dates in American history. Now, sometime in August 1619, the first recorded purchase of American African captives took place in America near Point Comfort, Virginia, when its then governor, George Yardley, traded food for slaves with an English privateer. Then on or about November 20, 1620, the Pilgrims, or Puritans as we learned to call them in school, or Separatists from the Church of England as they called themselves, anchored in Provincetown Harbor, Massachusetts, after a long and arduous voyage from England. Then we're going to jump to July 4, 1776. The American colonists adopted the Declaration of Independence from the British Crown, which, among other things, led to the American Revolutionary War with Great Britain that lasted from April 19, 1775 through September 3, 1783. Then, the United States Constitution containing several clauses that stealthily supported the institution of slavery in America was created on September 17, 1787, was ratified on June 21, 1788, and became effective on March 4, 1789. Now, in order to form a more perfect union, the United States Constitution superseded the Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union, the original governing agreement amongst the 13 original colony states, which had been proved by, approved by the states on November 15, 1777, and ratified on March 1, 1781. Then let's jump to March 4, 1861. Abraham Lincoln was inaugurated as the 16th President of the United States. One month later, on April 12, 1861, the secession of the several southern states caused the Civil War to commence. Now, according to an article published by the United States Park Service, the Civil War grew out of long-standing tensions and disagreements about American life and politics, including differences concerning economic policies and practices, cultural values, 
the extent and reach of the federal government versus states' rights, and most importantly, the role of slavery in American society. Then let's jump to January 1, 1863, after the war commenced, President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation with the primary goal of depriving the Southern combatants of their free, in quotation marks, slave labor, which might be used to assist them in their prosecution of the war. Then on January 31, 1865, the 13th Amendment was passed by Congress. Section 1 simply states, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Section 2 simply states, Congress shall have the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. On April 9, 1865, General Robert E. Lee surrendered to General Ulysses Grant at Appomattox Courthouse in Appomattox County, Virginia, ending the Civil War. That very next week, on April 15, 1865, President Lincoln was assassinated and Andrew Johnson, a Democrat, who ran with Lincoln on a unity ticket in 1864 and whom Lincoln largely ignored while he was in office and who was a virulent racist became the 17th president. On December 6, 1875, the 13th Amendment was finally ratified by the requisite 27 of the then 36 United States of America. Now, during his presidency between 1865 and 1869, Andrew Johnson, who considered himself an old-fashioned Southern Jacksonian Democrat, executed on his pronounced states' rights view and set about limiting the rights of the freedmen while expanding the rights of the states that had succeeded from and raised arms against the Union, a legacy that many view as the reflection or the inflection point that limited the hope for economic opportunities of black Americans that continue through into today. Now, I found many uninformed Americans are under the misconception that the Juneteenth elocution of the Emancipation Proclamation freed the last slaves in America. It did not. In fact, it only freed those slaves in states and territories that had been under control of the Confederacy, the Confederacy. It did not free slaves in places where the Union Army was in control. That's why the passage of the 13th Amendment was necessary for a very entertaining while educational way to really understand the need for the passes of the 13th Amendment, I refer you to and highly recommend the movie Lincoln, a 2012 film about the final four months of President Lincoln's life, focusing on his efforts in January 1865 to have the 13th Amendment passed by the House of Representatives before the Civil War ended. The movie was directed by Steven Spielberg with a great cast including Daniel Day-Lewis portraying Lincoln. The screenplay is by Tony Kirshner and is 
based on this great book entitled Team of Rivals, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln by American historian Doris Kearns Goodwin, which was published by Simon and Schuessler in 2005. I also highly recommend Ms. Kearns Goodwin's book. Now to drive home my point, here's one of my favorite excerpts from that, the screenplay of that great movie. In a sometimes heated discussion with his cabinet about, to their chagrin, why he was more focused on obtaining the passage of the 13th Amendment than meeting with the delegates from the Confederacy who urgently wanted to promptly end the war and keep their slaves. Lincoln explained to his cabinet, I decided that the Constitution gave me war powers, but no one knows exactly what those powers are. Some say they don't exist. I don't know. I decided I needed them to exist to uphold my oath to protect the Constitution, which I decided meant that I could take the rebel slaves from them as property confiscated in war. They might recommend to suspicion that I agreed with the rebs that their slaves are property in the first place. Of course, I don't. Never had. I'm glad to see any man free, and if calling a man property or war contribution does the trick, why, well, I caught at that opportunity. Now, here's where it gets really slippery. I used the law allowing for seizure of property in war, knowing it applies only to property of governments and citizens of belligerent nations. But the South ain't a nation. That's why I can't negotiate with them. If, in fact, the Negroes are property, according to law, have I the right to take the rebels' property from them? If I insist they are rebels only and not citizens of a belligerent country? And slipperier still, I maintain it ain't our actual southern states in rebellion, but only the rebels living in those states, the laws of which state remain in force. The laws of which state remain in force. That means that since it's state law that determine whether Negroes can be sold as slaves, as property, the federal government doesn't have any say in that, least not yet. Then Negroes in those states are slaves, hence property. Hence my war powers allows me to confiscate them as such. So I confiscated them. But if I am a respecter of state laws, how then can I legally free them with my proclamation, as i done, unless I'm canceling state laws? I felt the war demanded it. My oath demanded it. I felt right with myself, and I hope it is legal what I, what I did when I did it. I'm still hoping. Two years ago, I proclaimed these people emancipated, then hence forever forward and free. But... Let's say the courts decide I had no authority to do it. They might well decide that. Say there's no amendment abolishing slavery. Say it's after the war, and I can no longer use my war powers to just ignore the court's decision, like sometimes I felt I had to do. Might those people I freed be ordered back into slavery? That's why I'd like to get the 13th Amendment through the House and on its way to ratification by the states. Wrap the whole slavery thing up forever and I. So, 
soon as I'm able. Now, end of this month, and I'd like you to stand behind me like my cabinet most always does. As the preacher once said, I could write a shorter sermon, but once I get started, I get too lazy to stop. Well, I'm not too lazy to stop. I'm going to stop right here, and we're going to leave it here for now. But as always in closing, I like to say here at Selwyn's Law, we want to stay on the right side of the law, including laws recently enacted by Joseph R. Biden Jr. proclaiming June 19, 2021 as Juneteenth Day of Observation, wherein he calls upon, and I quote, upon the people of the United States to acknowledge and celebrate the end of the Civil War and the emancipation of black Americans and commit together to eradicate systemic racism that still undermines our founding ideals and collective prosperity by reminding us that Juneteenth not only commemorates the past, it calls us to action today. End quote. So, until we meet again, I urge you all to, that haven't done so, please get vaccinated. And until you do, please mask up, keep your social distance, and wash your hands. Have a great Juneteenth. Till next time, take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.